Cook's house. All right, so we got a big rematch with UCF tonight. Some big news in the football schedule soon to come, or I guess the schedule soon to come after the news yesterday. We got a lot to break down today on Locked on Cougs, so let's get to it. You are Locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Answers. Hit up and down all things Cougs. If you have a U of H fan or just a hit can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way you can get the latest on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Now, we got a packed episode today because we have a UCF basketball game to preview, as well as... Um, a, a football scheduling update that we need to get you guys in on. But first, I want to say welcome back to the YouTube channel. Good to see you again. Uh, if you get to the episode and you don't have anything to comment on basketball or football, uh, tell us if you like your pancakes or waffles a little crispy or absolutely drenched in syrup. All right, the first segment is going to be kind of look back at how that UCF basketball game went back on New Year's Eve because we all know that like New Year's Eve can be kind of the time that you forget about things. Obviously, there is a full game recap further back in the catalog. We're going to go back and check out the full 30 minutes on it. But we're going to spend a brief amount of time looking back at what trends happened in that game. Second segment is going to look at kind of what could be different in this upcoming game tonight. Um, some big changes for UCF uh, to be you know, aware of. And also kind of like what has Houston changed and gotten better at as well is something that we got to dive into. Third segment, like I said earlier, is going to be that look at the new update to the football schedule we don't quite have a full schedule for 2023 yet but some big news coming down the road all right so if we're going to jump into the first segment the first segment is going to look at the last game between these two teams the ucf knights and the houston cougars and i have to say that it was the tremont mark show early and the javier francis show late and that is i think kind of a, a shocker when you think about like how games have gone since then right um Frankly, Javier Francis has certainly been a lot of things, but not been a close. Not to say he's been bad. He's actually been very good for a young sophomore. Um, but it is the kind of game where he made some big impact plays on offense and defense down the stretch. Tremont Mark got the game started early, made the first basket of the game a three, um, or sorry, made a two, and then made a three a couple possessions later. Um, he really got it rolling early. His aggression, right? If you remember, uh, there was kind of an incident with him in the bench, it looked like early, early on. And that kind of spurred a like very, very like quick Tremont Mark run in the first half. He finished with 19 points, a game leading 19 points on just nine field goal attempts, right? Now, he did get to the free throw line a handful of times because that aggression got him to the foul line and attacking the rim and those kinds of things. But it was really, really it was like probably his best offensive game of the season. And frankly, when UCF comes in, they have so much focus, it looked like to me defensively, on Sasser, on Shed, on Jawan Roberts, that they just didn't really have anybody marked up on Tremont Marks. Nope, no pun intended there. <laughs> um, but that, that'd be where I think that happens is if they can get Tremont Mark going early again and kind of make UCF adjust their coverage, that'd be something worth keeping an eye on. In this game, if you remember back, uh, it was not Jairus's best game. Um, he played just 18 minutes. He kind of got lost a little bit on defense. And yes, 
uh, as he's been known to do. He fouled a couple of jump shooters, and after the second one, Coach uh, Kelvin Sampson said, sit the freshman to teach him a lesson. Now, Walker has been excellent defensively as of late. Even in that Temple game, I thought he looked really good on the defensive side of the ball for sure. I wish I'd seen more aggressive at him in an offense, um, but I, I think he's kind of going to be out of that funk, and so I think that it'll be interesting to see him potentially play his way back into a bigger role in this game. Uh, in the first match, he played just 18 minutes, had just two points, um, three fouls, and uh, three rebounds, uh, a block and an assist. Not the biggest game from him on either end. I also think he kind of got himself hyped up into this matchup between he and star freshman forward at UCF, Taylor Hendricks. Taylor Hendricks is also looking to be a first-round potential lottery pick kind of guy. Very similar, like... Um, skill set to Walker doesn't quite have the brute strength of Walker, but does have a little bit more like length. And so I think that, uh, you know, the stretch forward is a big thing in the NBA these days. And so I understandably, you know, 19 year old Jairus saw that as a challenge and tried to step up to the challenge. I might've gotten a little bit over his skis on that one, uh, as opposed to playing into the team game. And we know Kelvin Sampson, he's not going to let guys figure it out like that. He's going to figure it out from sitting next to him. Um, the big thing that, you know, prompted that was not just Jarris needed to come sit down after a couple of fouls, but when Javier Francis went in, Houston was able to move Juwan Roberts to the four. Roberts covered Hendricks fine, and Francis was impact an impact player on both sides of basketball. Um, in Francis's uh, uh, nineteen minutes, he had nine points, uh, seven rebounds, and assists, two steals, and a block. Um, he did have four personal fouls, and that's probably being a little bit too over aggressive in nineteen minutes. But I will say. His over-aggressiveness deterred a lot at the rim. He only got credited with one block, but I have to say that in watching clips of this back and looking through my own notes from the game itself, it was definitely the kind of game where he is deterring or altering shots at the rim, even if he doesn't get a hand on it necessarily. Reggie Chaney, also it's worth pointing out in that game, had a tight back. That was one of those games in kind of that stretch where he wasn't quite 100%, so we only saw nine minutes out of him, so we don't actually know what kind of impact he could have in the second game. Um, the story for UCF in this game was Darius Johnson, their point guard, had 17 points, and he was a big guy that attacked Houston off the bounce. It wasn't a catch-and-shoot. When you see guards get 17, there's kind of two ways to do it, right? He won a catch-and-shoot kind of 17 points. It was an aggressive attacking 17 points, which kind of think tank, it took Houston back a little bit. Um, they, don't, they aren't used to guys like Sasser and Shaggy and be able to dribble a whole lot. Um, Hendricks was fluid. He was fine. He had 14 points. He had moments where it's like, oh, God, this guy's a top-10 pick, and he had moments like, oh, he's a freshman, right? back and forth i think he has come on a lot more as of late uh, but in the first game houston especially with juan roberts on was kind of able to contain a lot of the things that he does um very very little bench impact in the first matchup for ucf um houston didn't play outside of francis a whole lot of their bench either just Emmanuel sharp come off the bench for the guard spots for 18 total minutes he missed two shots or he missed two shots one was a three right um but ucf had guys come in Four different guys played a combined total of, I'm not great at math, it looks like 19 minutes to me, right? Um, not a whole lot of bench guys for them and only four points off the bench for them. Um, and, you know, it was a starters versus starters, with the exception of Javier Francis, kind of game by and large. Um, we'll get to why that's important in the second segment. But as far as the game flow went, Houston was up eight at the half. The lead got cut to one in the first two minutes of the second half. Some halftime adjustments the UCF went to kind of took advantage of Jarris a little bit and um, Lee got cut real, real short, real, real fast. UCF actually takes the lead about a minute later 
um, and the game went back and forth, back and forth. UCF had the lead as late as the seven and a half minute mark. Um, and then Houston kind of took over from there. Houston made some two threes, couple layup dunks, um, layups or dunks. And then down the stretch, and this is important in remembering the Temple game, Houston went 11 of 14 from the free throw line in the final five minutes to kind of seal the deal there. It was a six-point win, so 11 of 14 from the free throw line in the last five minutes is really, really important because we just saw against Temple, that's unfortunately not the – I mean, Temple is also not the norm as far as Houston shooting from the free throw is uh, 12 of 22, right? But the 11 for 14 is also well above Houston's average. And so sitting somewhere at that average spot, the game might've gotten a little bit more dicey, especially when on the road tonight. I think that that's kind of going to be up in the air. going to be kind of a deciding factor. Um, You know, we're going to get into a lot more of the deciding factors and things that could be different in tonight's game. But first we got to talk a little bit about our newest buddies over at FanDuel. Now FanDuel is a new partner with, uh, the Locked On uh, Podcast Network. We're excited to tell you about our newest sports betting partner. Uh, they're one of the FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features to make betting on sports so much fun and easy. New customers, you can join in today. Get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet at FanDuel. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from money line is point spreads, player props, etc. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Now, this is the spot where they want me to talk to you about NFL uh, playoff betting, and we'll get into that later this week, um, just you know, as a side. But I have to tell you, if I'm looking at the Cincinnati Houston game, which is also on FanDuel, they got Houston favored by 10.5 points on the road, and the over under set at 127 at 127.5. Now, I'm thinking this game is flirting with 127.5. That's a really difficult line for me. It's, I'm, I'm going to hedge over because I can see offense, but I could see how you go over or under that line. It's a really well-placed line. I'm, I am I like Houston a lot. I think Houston does win the game. 10.5 points feels like a lot. We saw Houston play very poorly offensively on Sunday. This game was just a six-point game the last time they played. And while we're going to get into in a second how UCF is missing some key contributors, um, it's also worth pointing out that, like, at the end of the day, this is a game in their gym, and there are two teams that, like, it feels like the Big Twelve wants to force into a rivalry of sorts as both they, as they both, and then also Cincinnati move from the American into the Big Twelve. Um, so I feel like the crowd's gonna be even on a Wednesday night, kind of hyped up. I see this being more like an eight or ten point win, and the over under set at ten and a half, uh, or sorry, the the line set at ten and a half, and so I'm I'm taking. Houston to win on the straight money line, but I, I don't think it's going to be by 10 and a half points. That's my suggestion. I also suggest that you do it at fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. All right. So in the second segment, I said I would talk some about um, kind of what's new in this game, right? Because if you just want to watch the the breakdown of the old game, you can go back in the catalog and, and check that out. We talked once before about that, right? Um but I think what's interesting here is since that New Year's Eve matchup, it was right before all the you know chaos of college football playoff games. And so it might be kind of hard to remember, but that was a great game right before all that. And since then, UCF has kind of hit a slide and they're fighting to stay above 500 in conference play. Um, 
they're coming off of back-to-back losses for the first time this season. They're 13 and four. All four losses are by six points or less. Um, they kind of rotate their starters through. They have a couple of key injuries. Darius Johnson, who I mentioned, was their leading scorer in the first matchup. Starting point guard has a foot injury. His status is unknown for the game on Wednesday night. Um, obviously, there'd be some Willis Reed type of moment. That'd be super dramatic if you to walk through the tunnel. Um, it's not a broken leg or anything like that, but he was an impactful player in the first game. He does not look like he's been. He had been in games in a while, and I don't have a, you know exact definition on the injury. There's speculation on the internet, and I think everyone thinks that they're right on the speculation. So I'm not going to entertain all that, but I will say that he was such an impactful player in the first game. His absence is going to be felt. Um, with that said, they replaced him with a kid named Jalen Young. Another, He's a 6'2 guard. Um, he shoots the ball okay. He is not getting in the paint with the same effectiveness when I watch a few clips try and catch up on this kid because he's relatively new to the lineup. And he only played five minutes of the first matchup. Um, he didn't get in the paint quite as well or as uh, easily with as many different moves as Darius Johnson does. He also, for what it's worth, and did play five minutes in the first game. Had two points in a turnover. Um, I think I would think that a young guard, a guard that's inexperienced, would have trouble coming in and playing with Sasser and Shed. Right? I, that's obviously Houston's strength, and I think that the defensive pressure of Sasser and Shed. Whoa! Y'all hear that? My bad. I don't know what's going on outside. Um. Anyway, the defensive pressure of Sasser and Shed would be a lot for. The young guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, so the, anyway, that was what I think that would go with Jalen Young. Um, he does have four straight starts. I So I guess, you know, I should be careful what I call an inexperienced guy, but he has not seen this Houston ball pressure defense before, even if he's going to be playing at home. Um, big man, Michael Durr had surgery. He's seven footer, big guy, you know, turtle out shots the rim for them. And frankly, occupied the inside in a way that opened up to the Hendricks on the outside. He, he had surgery in his left hand. He is right-handed, so surgery in the left hand is obviously interesting to look at for a big fella because they're not going to handle the ball a lot, and if he can get to his right hand on shots, he should probably actually be able to like come back this season even though he had surgery. That said, you know, it was just, uh, I think it looks like it was in the last 10 days, um, and if I'm reading this right, it looks like it was in the last 10 days, and I have to say that I feel like I don't think he's going to play. He doesn't. It's a return unknown, right? Um, the guy that replaced him with is uh, Lahat Thune. I'm probably not saying that correctly because he hasn't played a whole lot of minutes. Um, he got just three minutes in the first matchup. Um, he did not record anything besides two personal fouls in said matchup. He is a big guy. He's an aggressive guy. And in his games uh, as a starter, He's played, you know, in the 20 to 22 minute range. Uh, I guess one, he just played six minutes. Um, but he, he get, you know, in that, in that big window of time, he's only getting a couple rebounds, right? I think the truth is, is that uh, UCF has realized that without uh, Michael Durr, they're probably better off playing Ted Hendricks as a small ball five. And that's going to be kind of more the MO, it looks like, of that offense. Um, that said, what that means is, is that uh, UCF has also put in another guard in the lineup. They've rotated between uh, Tyam Freeman, who's a 6'5 uh, score. He had one start under his belt thus far. He had 22 points in that start against Tulane. And they also have put in Brandon Suggs, another 6'5 guy, who has scored anywhere between 5 and 15 points. Um, 
Now, excuse me, I'm sorry, I keep like catching my breath here, but uh, uh, Tyam Freeman is not quite the like three point shooter. He's not getting all the three point shots off. He's more of an attacking, aggressive kind of guy. Brandon Suggs um, is getting a few more shots off. So he's shooting, and he's shooting like 50% um, in the last few games. But he's he's only he's getting four shots here, two shots there. It's not like he's getting like volume of seven, eight threes. So he looks like he does shoot it pretty well. Looking statistically, forty five percent of the season, fifty percent in several of his last games. Each like you know two for four, two for four, one for two kind of games. Um, so he is, I think, a dangerous shooting threat. But I have to say, at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much um, like a catch and shoot kind of guy we need to worry about him being. Um, the other injury, and it's unfortunate, is C.J. Walker for them. He's out for the season. Um, he, he hurt himself uh, since the last time Houston then played, but he didn't get in the first Houston game. He hadn't been in many close games yet this season. It's just a bummer to see kids go out in college basketball. You only get a handful of years that you, know, you hope he gets some more time afterwards. Um, and so that, that's the way that goes. The biggest thing, though, with all those injuries that I see UCF kind of shifting to and that Houston probably won't have a whole lot of tape on because they haven't had to do it much yet at UCF is playing the Hendricks small ball five type lineup. Um, again, Hendricks himself is a big, big kid listed at six, nine to 10 with his wingspan. I kind of felt like when we played him the first time he looked and felt more like a six, 10 and change six, 11 kind of guy. I guess I could be, you know, in over my skis there a little bit, but I, I think that that's, it, it feels bigger than he is. He's still just getting in the low teens. Uh, he he broke. He had 15 against Tulane. That's the most points he's had in American Athletic Conference play. Um, and I think the truth is, is that he continues to be kind of the marquee guy everyone finds. And so he's getting most of his shots on pick and pops. Um, now he's resorting a lot of defense and opening stuff up for others. So obviously you don't want to get beat that way. Like that would be a way he impacts the game as well. But um, like in the uh, what's that the SMU game, he had 13 points, but he went four or five from three. Right, like he he at six at six nine and change, and again a, a long six nine at that. That's wildly impressive and going to be very very difficult for you to stop. But it's also like he hit four shots. Right, like if Houston can limit his production to under 15 and make one of these backups without a whole lot of experience trying to beat them one-on-one off the dribble against the kind of defenders that they got in the backcourt, Houston might be okay, right? Houston might be okay. That 10.5-point uh, thing from FanDuel may make a little more sense. Houston, on the other hand, um, and looking at things they got to do better, uh, this is not a team. Uh, it doesn't look like it's a team, I should say, that they're going to be able to isolate and get off the balance like they were trying to do against Temple. And frankly, I told you guys uh, on Monday, and I, I've said it on other things since, I... I don't know what made Houston go to so much isolation ball against Temple. It was really, really ugly to watch. But I do know that it didn't work. They got good shots out of it. And when they're hitting those shots, like they did a little bit early in the first half or like they did against bad teams like Tulsa. Can I make fun of Tulsa? Yeah, okay. Like they did against Tulsa or whatever, right? Um, At the end of the day... It's not good offense. It's not good process. And if you're not making your shot, it looks really bad. And they could very well come out and shoot the lights off in uh, UCF and come home with a big, big victory and get ready for Cincinnati on Saturday. They also could do the exact same thing on offense, have a bad shooting night, and let Taylor Hendricks have his like shining moment kind of thing. right? And I'm not saying that I want that to happen, but I am fearful of it after 
what happened on Sunday. So what I would hope to happen here is that they don't get into so much isolation process on offense. Um, obviously, if you get a hot hand like Tremont Mark in the first matchup, then you kind of should you know let feed it and let it ride for a little bit. But I want to see more of the movement sets along the perimeter um, where they're running glorified weave type actions. They're constantly moving back and forth. And they end up in most actions when they do it with Sasser at the top of the key and he can isolate to a step back or beat a guy off the dribble of the rim. Um, he's so, so good with the ball in his hands. And frankly, I understand why they want to get him in catching situations because all ball catch and shoot is, I mean, he's a brilliant three-point shooter. But with the ball in his hands, he can manipulate defense, and he showed his he showed his passing ability several times in the last uh, few games. Again, Houston only had nine assists against Temple, but he had five of them, right? And so getting him in more of those kind of actions off the weave, I think is really, really important. The other thing I want to say, too, here is, is with UCF playing their young guards, I love to see Emmanuel Sharp and or Terrence Arsenal get some more run in this game. Um, we've seen Ramon Walker suit up on the sidelines. It looks like he is practicing in all videos and things like that from practice. And so maybe get some of his energy in this as well because you're on the road and you might need it. Maybe. Anyway, that that would be kind of my thought there um, as far as things Houston can do differently because, uh, you know, part of the stagnant offense issue was also present against UCF the first time. Um, I think it's just the thing that's going to happen to this team sometimes this year. They coach defense hard. They talk about defense a lot. Um, if I'm a betting person, <laughs> if I if I were able to pick the line, how about that? I think I got Houston winning, uh, you know, 68 to 60. Um, not quite as close as last game. Last game was a six-point win that really felt like a four-point win with free throws, right? Um, this one I feel like will actually feel like an eight to 10-point win throughout, um, throughout the last few minutes for sure. I, I do think Houston wins. I just don't think they run away with it. Um, I think that, frankly, the competitiveness of this matchup is probably what, if you want to go back and look, led to the Temple loss, right? Because it's one that they knew they had to get ready for and might have had in the back of their mind as they were preparing on Saturday for Sunday's game. Right? Um, so that's my thought there. And the third segment talks about football and, and the new schedule and things like that coming out. So let's jump on into the third segment and talk some about that football schedule. Um, the big announcement on Tuesday was that Houston is now going to start playing. Uh, it's an air quotes home and home. They're playing at NRG, um, but with LSU. Uh, it was great to see Brian Kelly LSU point out like LSU feeds off of Houston and, L- and Houston feeds off of Louisiana. And it's a, a natural partnership between the two schools. The games will start in 2027. Uh, and the first one is going to be at NRG. It'll be a really, really fun way to kick off the season <laughs> for the University of Houston because you know, obviously LSU was like the greatest, one of the greatest teams of all time in 2019. I don't know if they're quite the greatest, but certainly one of them, right? Um, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, um, Justin Jefferson, great, great football team, right? They kind of have had a dip since then. And so by 2027, you're hoping that LSU kind of builds themselves back up um, under Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly have obviously built up Notre Dame, right? And so you think it could happen. And, I, I wonder if the interesting thing there will be is like 2027 is close enough that like Houston can like feel it, but it's also far enough away that both LSU and Houston could be in very different places by the time their programs get there. Um, that's not the only non-conference big game that they got in the near future. Next year, they don't have any power five out of conference games. 
admittedly, um, they had to cancel a couple, moving the Big 12 hurts a lot of those kinds of things, right? And so um, they have no out-of-conference Power 5 game scheduled next season. But for your first season of Big 12, that might not be the worst thing. Um, it looks like they're working on one to replace a game that was originally a Big 12 team in the 2024 season. More on that when it comes out, obviously. But in 2025, you host in Colorado. In 2026, you host Utah and go to Colorado. And in 2027, now you have LSU and go to Utah. Those Colorado games are really interesting to me, too. Um, now that Coach Prime is there, Deion Sanders will be building up his program. And for sure in that first matchup, that will just be his third year there. So his impact will be big and known. But I don't think he'll have moved on to a bigger program than Colorado yet. And that's kind of an important window to catch them in because that's if you're going to schedule Colorado, that's kind of the time frame you want to have built a program. It'll be a respectful game. It'll be a respectable game across the country. Might even get you on primetime paying what Houston looks like. But also, it's not like booking it so far in advance that Dion's not there, right? So that's a handful of big non-conference games. Um, and that's really, really cool to see for Houston. These are kind of games that you don't get if you don't join the Power Five because bluntly, Power Five teams won't schedule you for those kinds of LSU wasn't going to schedule an American athletic conference, Houston in week zero, week one, week two, because what do they get out of it? They already recruit Houston. Well, they're the power five conference running it in through town. They'd rather play a power five team that also recruits Houston and a neutral site game in Houston. But now that game in Houston and an air quote neutral site can be against Houston, right? That's a big, big deal. The same way you see like Arkansas and AM play at Jerry world up in Dallas, right? Like, that kind of a game. They're not going to play. No one's going to play SMU at Jerry World in Dallas, but you'll play a Power Five team there. Houston can become that in Houston Energy, right? Like you might not have played Houston under the Conference USA model, but you're going to come play them when they're a Power Five Big 12 team because that's a Big 12 win on your resume. The other thing I think is interesting here is the admission from Kelly that LSU and Houston need each other in this, right? That they both will have a handful of the same recruits there is almost a foregone conclusion, right? I think the other thing about 2027 is is that I'm really hyped up about this recruiting class, right? Mikhail Harrison Pilot, uh, Jonah Wilson, Parker Jenkins, Jacoby Banks. We just got a big transfer linebacker. I guess he's playing D-end at Houston, though. David, uh, David Ugwegbu. Uh, I've heard that pronounced two different ways. Ugwegbu is the best I can do in combining what I think is right between the two. But David Ugwegbu was at OU coming back home in Houston to play it at the edge. He's a linebacker at OU. Uh, Brandon Mack is an edge rusher come from Ole Miss to Houston. Um, I think several of these guys are kind of impact players in the immediate future. But 2027 is, while it feels relatively close and we're really excited about it, far enough in the future that even like marquee name Michael Harrison Pilot signing on to Houston for this fall probably isn't on the roster then. Not because the transfer portal is leaving, but because... Harrison Pilot's going to be a pro by then, right? And so um, where this program could be, because I'm so excited about what it's going to be this fall, where this program could be is incredible, right? Like to think that like at that point in, he, in TCU's time in the Big 12, they'd already won the conference twice, right? What will Houston look like in four or five seasons, right? What will Houston look like in a handful when they get to recruit, get, bring kids home like a Guabu? or like uh, Brandon Mack or whomever, when they get to bring Kent back home to play for the hometown team in a Power 5 conference, how quickly does this thing turn around? And suddenly is that LSU win to start the season like a big-time win that's like a we're here moment, right? Could that 
2027 game NRG be a welcome to the national stage kind of moments. Um, I I know it feels like that is like a big, big deal. Like look at a team that's won 85 in the American and who knows if it's Holgerson on the show or not. But I do think it's interesting to think like it looks like the athletic department is thinking about this like that. They're thinking about scheduling that type of game down the road, both financially and also in a way that like makes you excited. Like, oh man, they've got confidence in what they're doing. So hats off to the athletic department and all of them for scheduling that game in a few in a few years for the University of Houston. We're excited to get to see it. I mean, there's a lot of LSU fans in Houston as well. So there should certainly be a lot of fun trash talk back and forth there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that's all we got today at Locked on Cougs. Again, make sure you check in tonight and watch the UCF game. I'll be live tweeting, going back and forth, as always with game threads. So you can find me on Twitter at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on all your social media handles. I talk all things Cougs, football, basketball, Rockets, Astros, the Texans, football all over Texas. Um, I guess at this point we're talking about the NFL playoffs, whatever you want. I got a wall of Jordans behind me. We talk about sneakers. Two, um, we can talk about all those things at Painsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all your various social media handles. Thanks so much for making us your first listen today. If you're looking for a second listen, I'm going to recommend the Coog-friendly college basketball podcast, Locked On College Basketball. It's Locked On's national college basketball podcast each and every day from Andy Patton and Isaac Shade. And I feel like what's worth pointing out there is they're very pro-Houston in a way that a lot of national shows kind of down-talk the U of H. They're very, very pro-Houston, so make sure to go check them out as well for your second lesson. Thanks so much for tuning in to Locked on Cougs, Primary Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Go Cougs!